Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome back to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by my brand new business, Lean Green Living. Lean Green Living is a growing range of sustainable health and wellness products designed and owned by myself. I am so proud of this new business and its focus on environmentally friendly alternatives to household and kitchen staples. At the moment, I have four amazing products available for purchase at Lean Green Living. They are my eco-friendly beeswax food wraps, my 100% organic cotton reusable tote shopping bags, my daily health planners, and my weekly meal planners. All these items are available worldwide through my website, and if you have an Amazon Prime account, you may be eligible for free shipping through Amazon. Please head to www.leangreenliving.com.au for more information and purchases. I'm so excited to bring you today's special guest, Soph Allen. Soph is a qualified personal trainer and an experienced coach specializing in female transformations. She founded Train With Soph in 2019, a health and fitness coaching platform and app that delivers custom training and nutrition programs, educational and mindset content for women. She's also a social media personality known for keeping it real on Instagram and YouTube. Soph is passionate about empowering women to focus on building their bodies and booties by focusing on their strength and technique with her no BS approach to training and nutrition. She believes in creating a lifestyle free from restriction with a huge emphasis on progress over perfection and building habits for sustained results. I got Soph on today's podcast to chat about her experiences with competing. I, like many others, have always considered doing a bikini or fitness competition, but never have. So I wanted to get Soph on for an episode that discusses what competing is, the differences between the federations and divisions, why someone might want to compete, what goes into a comp prep, how peak week looks, and what a stage day actually looks like, why having abs isn't actually healthy, the hardest parts about comp prep, and the pros and cons of competing. Now, as a quick disclaimer, I am absolutely not promoting competing. I think achieving the levels of leanness required in this field is not healthy for most and should only be done for a very short period of time under the guidance of multiple professionals. This episode is intended to be an unbiased discussion about Soph's experiences with competing. I hope you enjoy our chat. And as always, if you have Apple Podcast, please take a second to subscribe to my podcast and leave me a positive rating or review as this helps boost my free podcast in the charts. Thank you so much. And let's welcome Soph Allen to the podcast. Welcome Soph to the podcast. We're so excited to have you on today. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like we really like hyped this off air. We've hyped it. So I'm really excited to have our chat today. (laughs) Yes. And I can't imagine like a better expert than you to talk about these topics around like bikini, bodybuilding, like just competing in general. I get asked so many questions and I'm like, I can't honestly give like an honest opinion about that because I've never really done one. And so the thing about you that I love is that you can support other people through that, but you've also done one and you've had that experience as well, which I think is so important when you're giving like opinions on different things to actually have that experience and that background as well. Totally. And even with like clients of all different stages, like I know 
for you personally, you've gone through your own experiences with gut health and stuff. So you're really Mm -hmm. able to relate to your clients so much better having experienced it. And it just builds that trust between people. Like if you've been through something that they're about to go through, they can really lean on you and trust what you're telling them. So I think experience is the best way to learn as well. 100%. You can be more empathetic because you're like, no, I get it. I get you. And then when you say that and you really don't, people are like, but do you like, have you ever actually been in my shoes? Do you really know what I'm going through versus (laughs) you've had that experience? You're like, no, I get it. It can be really difficult. Maybe try X, Y, and Z instead because you've actually walked in their shoes before. Yeah, totally. And you can say like, the light at the end of the tunnel is there. Trust me, because I've been through it. So you need that in co- competition as well. Hundred <laughs> percent. Well, I'd love for you to just let's bring it back to basics and start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and why. Um, I guess why you wanted to be a personal trainer. Yeah. Okay. So um, I have a random background. I actually have a bachelor's degree in architecture and a post grad in marketing. <laughs> love it. <laughs> so. Um, it's kind of it's kind of a long journey and like so many people it it came from I suppose there are like two pivotal events in my life. One is pretty traumatic which I will try and uh, sum up pretty quickly for you because it's a long thing but when I was 21 I went in for investigatory surgery for endometriosis. Mm-hmm. So um if anyone doesn't know what that is it's when the tissue is meant to um grows on the inside of the uterus and it grows outside. So you just get like, I'm not here to diagnose, but like people get different kind of symptoms. I just had intense period pain and it was a really horrible experience. So I went in, they did the surgery. A week later, I went back to have my stitches out and um, they had actually perforated my bowel and I almost died. (laughs) So I'm just dropping a bomb on you there. I remember you seeing, I remember seeing the photo of you on the ICU. Yeah. So um, yeah, I was in intensive care for like a month. Uh, it spread and I had to have lung surgery, bowel surgery, all number of things. And obviously my health was just in a really horrible place. So that was kind of the catalyst for focusing on my health and focusing on nutrition and training and moving my body. Before that, it was, you know, school, sport, nothing really serious. And then the next thing was, I guess I went through a bit of a, a rough patch in my life where I was really lost with where I was at and I gained a whole lot of weight. And I didn't really realize I wasn't aware or conscious of really what I was eating. I wasn't really moving my body too much. And so like so many women, I hated what I saw in the mirror, which is a horror, like I hate to say that, but that's just the reality of it. Mm. So that really launched me into taking ownership of my own health and fitness and getting into a program. And I became so passionate about it, like obsessed. I was like, Whenever I was at work doing my architecture job, I was actually on Google, like reading articles, reading up, trying to teach myself everything I could. And then eventually I decided to get qualified as a PT and I started my Instagram account alongside that. Mm-hmm. And the passion and obsession just grew and grew. And yeah, now I've got my business, Train With Soph, which is a coaching platform for women all around the world and very big focus on training, nutrition and mindset and education. They're kind of like my four core pillars. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that kind of brings us to where we're at today. Love it. And then in terms of obviously you've always been really interested in, um, you know, training, nourishing your body while exercising. What made you, I guess, take that leap into the competing world? Because it's one thing to know and love and train and exercise regularly, but it's another thing to actually compete in like a like a bikini or a bodybuilding competition as well. I love this question because I feel like 
I did it for the wrong reasons and we can chat about that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think all of us are very much like a product of our environment and the people that we are around. And when I moved to Sydney from Melbourne, I sort of immersed myself in more of that bodybuilding environment. I was going to a gym where there were a lot of people who were competing and I started kind of manipulating what I was doing to build my physique. And at that time, what I told myself was, oh, this seems like the logical next step. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was around people who were competing. I just presumed that that was what you did next. Like I'd gotten, you know, some a really cool transformation. I'd gotten really lean. I was really loving and enjoying the process of training and getting stronger and building my physique. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. I may as well, I may as well compete. That seems to be what you know, everyone around me is doing. So I just kind of, kind of fell into it without even understanding what it was. Like I had never been exposed to it. My understanding of competing was like this orange tan, tacky (laughs) kind, like I had these really negative perceptions of what it was. And then, yeah, yeah, the more I was exposed to it, I was just like, oh, this actually seems kind of, I'm intrigued. I'm curious. <laughs> mm, yeah. And I've definitely had that curiosity in the past as well. And I'm like, I want to get on stage. I want to have those abs. I want that spiky bikini. Mm. That looks fun. How do I do that? And I guess I'm in the same boat. The more I explored it, the more I was like, mm, is this kind of really for me? Or the more I understood what it takes to get there, you don't just jump on stage with a six pack and a tan and a sparkly bikini. <laughs> like there's months or potentially years of hard work leading into that as well. That's literally like the bikini and the on stage part flies. It's like a snippet actual competing is the whole prep and it's a bloody long process (laughs) and it is so taxing on your body mentally physically emotionally and financially it is a big commitment (laughs) reminds me of my wedding I'm getting married in a couple of months and everyone's like just focus on the day it's like 12 hours you've planned for this for like over a year you've spent so much money and it's all gone in like a matter of hours like just be mindful and enjoy the experience and get lots of photos (laughs) and take lots of photos and have the videos forever yeah how funny well I'd love for you to tell our listeners because this is something that I get very confused about between like the different types of federations, the different type, like what's the difference between a bikini comp, a bodybuilding comp. There are different like levels within that. Then there's like height categories. Cause I remember someone said to me once, oh, you wouldn't be, you know, you'd be in like the tall category. And I was like, oh, there's a tall category and there's a short category. Like I just, mm. like, you just don't know what you don't know. So can you explain for our listeners at home a little bit about the difference between I guess the categories for lack of a better word, or like the, even the different types of competitions and federations, which I've heard exist as well. Yeah, totally. And I was the same. Like, I remember when I got to this gym, I was training at, everyone was like, oh, this girl's a WBFF pro. And I was like, what the hell? (laughs) WB what? (laughs) Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? So yeah, there's different federations. Like WBFF is one. Um, obviously those abbreviations stand for, I think it's world beauty, fitness and fashion that one stands for. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's ICN, which is a smaller federation in Australia. And then there's like INBA and IFBB. So to be honest, I don't know a hell of a lot about the other ones. Mm -hmm. I guess there's, um, kind of levels of seriousness. Some are clean. So some are tested and drug free others don't test. So a lot of people do use performance enhancing drugs, Mm -hmm. WBFF is one of those that I know um, a lot of people use drugs for. And that's one of the sad truths about um, 
perception. People don't really see that side of things and think, oh, I could just do what she did and prep like her and look like that. And it's like, hundred percent, yes, and take some drugs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think that, and I love that you brought that up in like full transparency. A lot of people don't realize that for females to get that lean and to be that muscular, they have performance enhancers on board as well. Yep. Yep. And it's, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole other ball game. And a lot of coaches will use that. Like if they maybe get stuck with their clients, they'll be like, oh, I've always got this. And it's just like, oh, I personally didn't use them, would never use them and would never put a client on them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, I'm not a doctor. I don't know how to do that kind of thing. So anyway, (laughs) there's those federations. The one that I did was WBFF and the this federation is known as um, like the Victoria's Secret of bodybuilding. Yeah, it looks like that as well. When those girls are up on stages, they look fabulous. <laughs> yeah, so it's very like it's it's very entertainment. Um, it's all about beauty and fashion, and I mean fashion in in one way, mm. uh, designing the bikini. Whereas other ones are very kind of you've still got your glittery bikini, but it's not like a full thing that you're like designing your bikini and dropping you know, $1,000 on it to have like this beautifully designed bikini. <laughs> to wear for like 30 minutes. <laughs> exactly. And then, yeah, you've got it and you're like, what do I do with this? I'm never going to wear this anywhere or fit into it again. <laughs> exactly. Whereas I know some of looking between the different federations and for anyone at home, I guess the easiest way to explain a federation is just like a, a different type of competition, would you say? Yeah, it's kind of, it's like a different business essentially. So WBFF is like their own business and then I think they're also a franchise. So they have like different people own them in different countries and states even. So there's like in Australia, there's one in Gold Coast and one in Sydney and they're the only two states that do WBFF. But then there's like LA and then there's the world's one, which Mm -hmm. is like the biggest one of the year that happens every uh, September, I think it is. Um, But that's probably the most popular one for like bikini or within Australia. And then there's like Arnold and the bigger kind of, the big big ones where like you Mm. probably have that perception where you see like the huge ripped guys like massive yeah and they're more like the pro like those guys kind of do it full time they've been competing yeah Yeah. whereas I looked at I remember once when I looked at competing I think I looked at the maybe the INBA and that was more where you sort of wore the sports clothes like the little booty shorts and the crop top it wasn't so much like the evening gowns and that sort of thing so even just the different types of clothing that you wear sort of differ between the federations as well doesn't it Totally. And WBFF is you come up with your own posing. So there's no set poses. So all the others have like, this is your front pose, Mm -hmm. quarter turn. This is your side pose, quarter turn, back pose, quarter turn, side pose. And it's very like you have a specific way that you pose to like flex your muscles and show off. Mm -hmm. Whereas WBFF is like there's a catwalk and you walk down um, and then you do like your posing sequence that you go to the side and then you go to the back and you kind of all line up and they'll put, call different people to the front and go through it. You can be on stage for like 20, 30 minutes, even 40. I think my federate, uh, my group were on there for 40 minutes. So then within that, you've got categories. So you've got bikini, fitness and figure. Mm-hmm. And I guess that, and then within that, you've got short, medium, tall. Yeah, wow. So if there's heaps of people, they even add in extra categories like short one and short two, I think, depending on. <laughs> like tall and extra tall. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It could be the difference between a few centimetres. Um, and then so the bikini is more of your like, I wouldn't say curvier, but mm-hmm. you can be slightly less lean. Mm, it's a bit of a then, softer look probably for, yes. for a better word, isn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. Not as ripped and, then, and not as sort of like quote unquote shredded. Yes, exactly. But you still have to be a very low body fat percentage. They don't have like a certain, you must be this body fat percentage, but you just, you can't have, you basically can't have anything wobbling on you. But it's also, I've been told like a, a full on six pack is also very frowned upon if you were to do a bikini, the bikini class as well, isn't it? Yeah. So they prefer you to, it also depends because whenever they do worlds, that's kind of the standard that's set for the year to come. So whoever wins worlds, if they're more of like a hard shredded look, that's probably what they'll be looking for for that year. Mm-hmm. Whereas if someone else say like Rachel Dillon, if anyone's familiar with her, she's won like three shows. She's more of your softer. She's super lean, mm-hmm. um, but she's more of like your softer look and she's like a little bit more curvier, but Mm -hmm. they love glutes. They don't want fat on them and they just want you to basically not have fat on you. And then the further along you get, the bigger they want your lean muscle mass to be and the leaner and more like shredded and dry they want you to be. And that just, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you you have to have quite a lot of muscle on you the further along you get in those categories. Mm -hmm. And then you also need to have those like visible sort of like veins popping as well and that sort of thing versus that would be not frowned upon if you did bikini, but not so much encouraged because they want that still lean, but a little bit softer look. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And if anyone's completely confused by what we're talking about at home, (laughs) maybe just jump on Google and look at the difference between, because I remember that was one of the first thing I did. I was like, I'm so confused. Like, what is the federation? Why would I, like, why would I even do this? And then what would I even compete in? Which one am I? Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) And so that probably brings me to, um, you've talked a little bit about um, almost like your motivation to want to compete. Once you sort of looked into that and you were exploring around a little bit more, did that make you sort of more motivated to want to do it? Are you like, yep, like I'm all in, I'm, I want this? Or was it kind of like a little bit of a hesitation and a back step in terms of like, oh, this seems very overwhelming. I'm not quite sure now. Um, no, I was keen. I definitely immersed myself in it. So I immersed myself in it by the media, like all the social media accounts I was following, the people I was connecting with. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was very focused on competition and competing, watching previous competitions. That's definitely a tip I would suggest if this is new to you, like YouTubing previous competitions and having a look. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, yeah, I just, I just really immersed myself in it, I suppose is the word. And I honestly wasn't excited about the stage part. For me, it was very much the process and proving something to myself. So mm-hmm. proving to myself that I could set a goal that big and achieve it. And I just was so curious to see what kind of condition I could get myself in. Mm -hmm. But that's, I suppose, where I went wrong because you compete to be competitive. I wasn't competing to be competitive. I was competing as a test, essentially. Um, You can do that with anything. You can do that in life without the stress and the pressure and the financial number and judges critiquing your physique. You can do a photo shoot. Mm-hmm. So why, you know, why I felt the need to get up there to sort of validate a process is I suppose just that I was looking for some kind of validation for the work that I'd put in, but I hated being on stage. I was like, this is horrible. Get me out of here. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine for 40 minutes as well, you're probably starving, dehydrated, you're under the hot lights and everybody's staring at you like, oh my goodness, when will this end? It probably felt like you're up there for three hours. Yeah. And in the heels as well, like you have to learn how to do the walk and the posing. It's not just like, okay, do your training and do 
like follow your nutrition plan there's like so much more that goes into it yeah and and because I'm six foot tall for anyone who's listening at home who's new I'm actually a very tall human being I don't wear heels normally like if I do they're like these little baby wedges I just couldn't see my like I would fall over 100% I would fall flat on my face and I was like I'm just not willing to put myself through that and then I've seen the girls in my gym like doing the posing classes and the posing practice I was like I don't even think I could do that with a straight face I was like I just I got to the point where I was like I just don't think competing is for me and as you mentioned like I I was like I can take myself to that level I can push myself and set myself you know some goals and then have a photo shoot at the end of it and do it that way versus having to invest I think when I looked it up it was like oh maybe like at least sort of like three thousand dollars and that was also like I had to pay the trainer pay the you know the coach and I needed a sports dietitian and it was just sort of like I can put this money into something else, like a holiday. I think at the time I was planning to go to like Europe or America or something. So it's a very expensive um, sport as well, isn't it? I think I spent almost 10K. Yeah. Wow. Like that's a car. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so many things. It's a car. It's a holiday. It's, I don't know, I have to put it. Probably not. Couple like, Chanel bags. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I, you know, it was an experience and it was, it taught me a lot. But you think about the amount of time that you prep for, the coaching, um, the posing classes, the gown, the photo shoots, the makeup, um, the hair, the tan, the nails. <laughs> if you have to travel anywhere, mm-hmm. the bikini cost almost a thousand dollars. And like that's all. I also had endorsements through my social media, so a lot of mine was covered too. So it's so expensive. Yeah. So it would have been plus 10 grand. Yeah. 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 And you traveled as well because you're in Sydney and you came up to the Gold Coast to compete, didn't you? So yep. there's flights, there's accommodation. And travel like between, yeah, it's it's mental. And like all the food, like it's not like you're eating heaps of food, but yeah, there's there's a lot to factor in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just why I love having this conversation because I think a lot of people see these photos on Instagram. They see the end result and they're like, oh, I want that. Do you know what I mean? Without realizing exactly what goes into the six to 12 months prior to that. Yeah, totally. And I guess that's the whole issue with Instagram. I mean, I love Instagram and there are so many accounts out there that show the process and show the reality of what Mm. goes on behind the scenes. But at the end of the day, no one's on the journey with you. Even if, you know, I'm I'm a YouTuber and I document so many things, but no one's on the journey with you the whole way to see everything that goes into it. And it's so easy to see beginning and end and then just glorify it I suppose and think that it's super achievable because Mm -hmm. I suppose a lot of people don't show the reality behind it um, which is yeah it it can be intense it can be so fine for some people and then for other Mm -hmm. people it's a really horrible experience and for other people it's just like this thing that they did and they're fine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's such a personalized thing and how I guess everything that goes into it and then afterwards as well is so different for so many people. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, competing, I always say to my clients, like when I get these messages, I say, you know, this isn't something that you should take lightly. Like you should know all of the ins and outs. So everything that you're sort of expected to do, even just on the day and the days leading up to it, there are like rules around these competitions, you know. Um, And then most experts in the field will say you should take at least six months, if not ideally 12 months to prep for that. And it's like, can, are you going to be able to stick to your nutrition and training plan for six to 12 months as well? So I'd love to know from your experience how long your comp prep was. And looking back, if you were ever to do another competition, would you do the same amount of prep or a shorter or a longer prep? Because, you know, 12 months is a significant period of time or even six months as well. It's not something that you just go, oh, I want to compete and do that four weeks later. There's a long build up to that, isn't there? Totally. And I think it depends what you consider prep, because for me, I kind of 
made the decision early on in the year, but I didn't, I suppose, technically start my deficit at that point. So Mm -hmm. I kind of consider a prep when you go into the deficit. Um, And then there's, there's the on season and there's the off season. So in the off season, essentially you should have, if you are wanting to be competitive ongoing, you need to have a plan for this where you've got your off season where you're spending time at maintenance or in a surplus and you're focusing on building muscle or, or bringing up the, in inverted commas, weaknesses that you need to do. I know mm-hmm. for a lot of girls that might be like bringing up their glutes or bringing up their shoulders and really focusing on your training efforts and your nutrition for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the actual deficit part for me, I've got to say the a lot of people prep for a really long period of time and, and maybe their starting point isn't ideal so they might be starting on like low calories so Mm -hmm. the length of time that they're prepping might have to be longer because they have to dig deeper they have to drop their calories lower Mm -hmm. so for me I was actually in a pretty good position I think I dieted for the majority of it so I I decided in April that I wanted to prep I basically started my deficit from April to October so that's what five months Mm -hmm. so I was in a deficit for that period of time and it didn't get too aggressive until I'd say the last month mm-hmm. um so I was probably on like 1500 calories so if, for you guys that don't know I'm quite short I'm like mm-hmm. um five three hundred and sixty centimeters mm-hmm. um so I'm not like you know that's a pretty decent deficit to be on for that period of time yeah and then towards the end yeah things do get more aggressive and you increase your cardio and everything mm-hmm. so if I were to do it again I mean, if my health was optimal and I didn't have any kind of down regulation of metabolism, I would probably do 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it depends on the person, it depends your starting point. It depends on if you need to take the time to be building muscle or go into a surplus or whatever you might need to do ahead of dropping into the deficit. Yeah, definitely. And also not being too far away from your goal as well. I think that, you know, like even for me, like a 16 week deficit would seem like a really, really, really long time. I'm not someone who does very well in a deficit and me about my eight week mark is kind of like, I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. So even anything longer than that. So I think a lot of people are, you know, some ladies are quite far from where they want to be in terms of stage weight that instead of taking the year to work on some healthy habits and nutrition, they're pushing too hard to get to that competition. So it's like they're in a deficit for nine months and their calories are low for a really, really long time. And metabolically and that sort of thing, hormonally, they can end up suffering quite a lot and it turns into quite a negative experience overall, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's actually one thing I really want to highlight is don't use competition as your reason to get into shape like don't Mm -hmm. don't think that oh I'm competing magically creates this ability to adhere because if you're struggling to adhere to a a diet competing is only going to enhance any negative relationship that you have with food and Mm -hmm. an inability to stick to a diet because once that's gone what do you do like what what's your motivation because once that's gone then you've got the aftermath, which we can discuss, which I went through, which was a pretty bad rebound. And it's very common. Yeah, definitely. Well, just before we jump into that, because I definitely want to hear your thoughts around that. I'd love for you to share with our listeners at home, like what does we'll call it comp day look like? Like the day that you get on stage, the big lead up to this sort of a summary in the weeks leading up to that. Because as you said, in the sort of the final month, things really sort of kicked up a notch and got into gear. And I've followed some of the social media influencers that have done comps and, you know, they're doing 20, 30,000 steps a day. 
And for me, I'm like, I don't have the time in my life or in my business to go walking for three hours and then spend an extra two hours in the gym. Like, I don't have that time. So what does sort of the month leading up to it? And then also what's a, a little bit of like a summary of comp day? Like what would you expect on a day if you were doing um, sort of the the competition that you did, which was more, was it bikini or was it yeah. bikini competition? Yeah, in the W WBFF. <laughs> BFF. <laughs> All these acronyms, I swear. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get tripped up eventually. I've gone up on stage. I posed. That's, that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good question. So um, in again, it's going to depend on the person for how their prep's going to look and mm-hmm. whether they're doing more steps, less calories, more cardio, whatever. For me and my body, I have quite a stressed body. So low volume training worked best for me. So I was only training, weight training four days a week, but I was also doing four cardio sessions and it was a blend of low intensity and high intensity training um, and 20,000 daily steps. So that is one one of the biggest cons for me was how much time it took away from focusing on my business. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the biggest reasons I decided not to continue because my business is my main priority right now. Mm -hmm. It has to be the number one priority in your life. Yeah, That's just the end of the day. That's the truth. So the week before you get up on stage, they call it peak week. Mm -hmm. And this is basically like um, you pull out, I was going to say you pull out all the stops, but technically if you've done a good prep, you shouldn't really need to do anything drastic. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people use it as their saving grace where they're like, oh yeah, I kind of just like tick along in this prep. And then when it comes to peak week, then then I'll put in all of my effort. So a lot of people do fall into that trap and it can you know, create more stress, which as we know, impacts the body and can make you watery. And that's just not what you want getting on stage. So there are a a lot of different peak week protocols, but mostly it means a significant drop in your calories. I think for me, it was around, I went down to around a thousand calories, Mm. um, a big drop in carbohydrates to get your water down. So you're just like totally drying out your body. Mm -hmm. Even in the lead ups, people do like water loading where you'll drink heaps of water like I'm talking eight liters a day Mm -hmm. and then the day or two days ahead of the comp you stop drinking water or you really reduce it and taper it down Mm -hmm. and you take your carbs out and then you add your carbs in it's just that whole pulling trying to pull as much um, glycogen into the muscle to get you popping and to Mm -hmm. fill your muscle bellies and it gets technical because if you have too much glycogen then that's going to you're going to have this spill out effect where it's not getting pulled into the muscle and it just kind of floats around your body and gives you a bit of a watery look so Mm -hmm. there is a bit of manipulation that people kind of do but I know a lot of coaches just don't don't do that and just stick to what they know works they might play with your macronutrients in terms of your your carbs a little Mm -hmm. bit but nothing too drastic and that would be my preference for any clients um, or anyone that was going to do it. I agree. Yeah. Um, when you pick a coach, make sure they've got like these plans in place and you see their results, but you see their post comp results, which is, I'd say, more important that they have an exit strategy. Agreed. Yeah. So then on the day, so the night before, you do like your registration where you get in a gown, you get photos, you just kind of go and they tell you what the deal is for the next day. You get your tan and they just, they dip you in like, many layers so you have like your pre-tan which you do yourself you do like your own tan and then you go to um wherever it's being posted and they'll do another layer and then you go back the next day and get another layer and then you even you even get top up so you're literally like a dipped dipped in chocolate like you're very very um dark (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, so on the day, again, the, your food will depend on what works for you. But I just had, I think, like a, a little bit of um, fast acting carbs. So I'd have like mm-hmm. some maple syrup or some gummy bears or something like that to help fill me out and just mm-hmm. some protein. And you you get there pretty early, you get your makeup done, you book in like they have slots for what time you want to get your makeup in. So get there early, like book your book your makeup as soon as it opens up because some people get stuck with like a 4 a.m. appointment. You can do like a 6 a.m. Wow. <laughs> um, and then something I didn't mention earlier is they've got the amateur categories and the pro categories. So pros are just people who have placed in their um, – their category, but then being awarded a pro card. So placing top three or one or two doesn't necessarily give you a pro card. You have to be awarded it. So they can then compete in the pro category. So anyone can do amateur, but pros and pro cards can only do the pro Mm -hmm. category. So usually they do the amateurs first and they'll go based on your category. It'll be like tall, medium, short or short, medium, tall, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's the morning show. And then they go through all of the categories and then you have a break. So you might go home, put your feet up and then come back for the evening show, which is really like the spectacle, like the entertainment and you come out and you do basically what, like what you've already done, but they've probably already picked who was going to win in the morning round. Mm -hmm. And then you also come out in your gowns and they go through all the awards. It's a very, very, very long day. Mm, Especially if you get your makeup done at (laughs) 4am. Exactly. And you finish maybe at like 11 with like a break in the afternoon. And then there's all the backstage stuff going on. Like there's pizza, there's donuts, there's cookies, there's, you know, people going ham on the the food. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So do you come back and do like get back in your bikini for the late show or is that really just the evening gown? So you can actually go home, eat a little bit, like fill out a little bit more. That's okay. Um, so you, you do like I did eat between, I find a lot of people kind of blow out in between they come out and cause they're not used to that, the food types and volume, mm-hmm. they come out looking very bloated on stage, but they do say <laughs> to try and avoid having that blowout in between cause they will still judge you at that evening show in your bikini again, but then you oh, also okay. do the gown afterwards so yeah you do both yeah and I think that's probably um something that we can dive straight into is really like the post-comp um binges for lack of a better word because I've seen all the photos I've seen girls with just like 12 packs of donuts and I'm like surely they're not going to eat all of them but they do (laughs) (laughs) and I think that for me was the biggest thing that held me back from actually competing because I'm that type a perfectionist I was like if I'm going to compete I'm going to win and I was like I'm going to you know like push my body to the brink and I was like in my mind I'm like is that is that what success looks like to me and I quickly decided that with my personality type it probably wasn't going to be a good thing and I could get myself to the point where I was like lean and happy and training hard and get some physical progress results without having to take it to that like next sort of 10% to get on stage and be uber lean and do the you know fluid salt manipulations whatever it was and I was like I just don't know if that's for me but the biggest thing that held me back was sort of ruining my relationship with food, which has taken me so long to get to such a good place where I don't emotionally eat anymore. I don't have days where I completely blow out and I feel sick the next day. Um, that's taken me so long to overcome. And I was like, I just don't want to risk going back there. So I'm sure that th- within the industry, there is a lot of like disordered eating post-comp because obviously when you're constantly dieting, you kind of lose touch of those hunger fullness signals and post-comp, you know, oh, now I can eat anything I want. I don't have to go on stage anymore. I'm sure there's a lot of sort of overeating and that sort of thing. So did you see that in the industry or did you experience any of that for yourself as well? Yeah, 100% experienced it. And oh my goodness, I never had any 
I would say I'd never had any negative relationships or patterns with food prior to competing. Mm -hmm. And I know it's so cliche to say, but yeah, competing really did damage my relationship with food and the way I viewed it. And I've got to say it's taken, so I competed in 2018, I think it was. And I think I'm only now just recovering from that relationship stuff. It's been very up and down with trying to overcome that and work through it. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely, yeah, there's been a lot of feelings of restriction, emotional eating and just being totally aware of it, but not really being sure on how to repair it. But yeah, as soon as I finished, I had like, there are actual businesses that like deliver to like challenge specific businesses that deliver like cookies and donuts and stuff. And they come in and you've, you're so excited. Like all you think about during you, you become so food focused whenever you diet. Yeah. So I was so food focused by the end of it. That was like the celebration and the reward was, Mm -hmm. Oh, now I can eat the things that I've been depriving myself of this whole time. So I ate all of the things and even the next day I think I had a photo shoot and I continued to eat all of the things and I was just craving Nutella donuts. So I was like, yep, cool, I eat this. (laughs) Um, And I I just had no comprehension of what to expect afterwards. So there was Mm -hmm. no exit plan. There was no reverse diet. There was no real conversation with my coach at the time about like best practice for afterwards, what to expect, any kind of rules because you go from having – the rules of, okay, this is your diet, this is what you follow, this is what you do, mm. and then you compete, and then what? So it's like, oh, cool, okay, so I'll just like just eat like I used to. Like I literally went to the supermarket, was so overwhelmed because I was so used to eating the same things over and over. I was like, what did I used to eat? I don't know what to buy. Yeah, yeah. So it it messes with your perception of food and like just what food is really for. Um, yeah. I mean, it can. For other people, you know, they're totally fine. They just, they reverse diet and they continue to compete on and off and and they're fine for it. But I, yeah, I did not experience that. I just ate whatever I wanted. I was less active. My meat went down. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually went to Dubai pretty soon afterwards and my activity levels went down and I was just kind of not really tracking my food. And your body is going to change. Like you do need to put weight back on Mm -hmm. because comp lean is not sustainable or healthy (laughs) no not at all like I lost my period in the end as well Mm. and even that was really hard to come to terms with because I was still checking in every week because I was so used to it doing my photos and I was like oh my god my body's changing like I didn't realize it it was meant to so I was like I'm failing my body's changing it looks different I'm less lean and it just kept going and going it kind of spiraled and uh, how much did I, I didn't actually gain a heap. I probably gained, so I think my, actually, no, I did. Now that I think about it, I think my stage weight was 53 and I think I gained, yeah, about seven or eight kilos afterwards, which is just too much for. Mm-hmm. And in what sort of time frame do you think that was in? About between October and January. Yep. So a couple of months. So pretty rapidly. Yeah, very rapid weight regain. Um, I was very lucky in that it was quite easy to then go back into a deficit and lose that again. Mm-hmm. Um, I know with like yo-yo dieting and kind of on and off dieting, our bodies are so clever and it knows when we're dieting and it knows to it knows it knows what's going on. It, it tries to protect itself, right? Yeah. So 
the more you diet on and off and regain and stuff, it's like, ah, I know what's going on here. So it it can become very stubborn. Maybe your metabolism has been affected. So Mm -hmm. you're going to have to diet more aggressively for longer periods of time. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I've experienced lately. I I tried to do a recent dieting phase um, when COVID started, great timing. (laughs) Um, And it was very, it was like, the hardest process, like so much resistance mm-hmm. to losing fat, um, really having to drive calories down to the point where I was just like, it's just not the right time. This isn't um, optimal for my body. It's not in a good position. I need to get my health in check, my hormones in check mm-hmm. um, because there's just some funny things going on. So, yeah, I think uh, all of those things together have put me in a very difficult position with my body and not just my relationship with food, but my relationship with my body. So you become, you'll never be that lean again. Mm -hmm. And it became the standard at which I held myself. I was like, oh, I'm lean, but I'm not stage lean. So it's not good enough. Mm -hmm. And that's so toxic and unhealthy. And yeah. And I can imagine even you being quite large on social media would have got some negative comments as well around that. Because I remember I sort of, when I decided that I didn't want to compete, I sort of just did it for myself in my own way for a bit of a photo shoot for myself. I remember people commenting like, you know, like a year or two later, even at the beginning of this year, and it was like, oh, I remember some guy sent me messages like, looks like you've gained some weight. I can help you um, get rid of that again. And I was like, piss off. Like I'm fine on myself. Thank you very much. But just those comments around people being like, oh, you're not as lean as you used to be. But it's like, I'm not surprised supposed to be like female bodies are never supposed to be that lean like it's just it's not healthy to maintain that level of leanness all year round so as you mentioned it's such a perception um in the industry or even not in the industry just on social media to see those photos of you in like your leanest state and for people to be like well Soph doesn't look like that now like she's obviously failing in some respect which is terrible isn't it but I'm sure that you probably experienced some of those comments and that sort of thing as well yeah I get it I definitely get it um people and it's often guys, <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? funnily enough, um, making comments like, yes, there's, there's a lot of comments, but I think I'm so lucky with the community I've created on Instagram. They're all very supportive. And I think I, the thing that I get told from the people that follow me is they respect how real and honest I am. So I think mm-hmm. if I were to kind of um, get super lean and then have a rebound, but not talk about it or share about it. And then all of a sudden post a picture where I look like that, people would be like quite shocked. Yeah. Whereas I'm very open about the process and being like, cool, this is where I'm at. These are the things I'm struggling with, which can be really difficult as a fitness professional because you, uh, there's so much fear around being seen in a certain way. Like, oh, okay, you you, you rebounded, you must be a, a bad coach. Mm-hmm. And so it can be very hard to be real and vulnerable. But like I said, I'm very lucky with the people who follow me that actually appreciate the content when I'm real a lot more than being like, cool, here's an unattainable level of conditioning that you're never going to get to. Come coach with me. It's like, no, I've been through so many different phases. I know how to build a body and I know how to get you lean and I know how to help you afterwards, which is the most important thing. So Mm -hmm. that's something I'm so passionate about and just empowering women to get that level of education where they're not in a position where they finish a diet and they're like, whoa, what's happening? I'm starving. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to listen to those hunger cues and eat heaps of food. And now I'm at a point where all I can do is think about food and you're just in a horrible position. It's like, hey, guess what? You've finished a diet. Your body's going to tell you to eat and it's going to really 
tell you to eat. So it's going to be really important to be aware and mindful of that and know that that will end. But we just need to follow this process for a little bit and get you back to a point where you're maintaining your maintainable weight that you've achieved in your weight loss process. Yeah. And you're not starving and you have a good relationship with food. That's so important. And that's the reason I wanted you and you alone on this podcast because you were so real about your journey the whole way through. And I remember watching one of your YouTubes as well, um, probably like over a year ago as well. And I sort of came down that road again and I was like, mm, maybe I will compete. And I think it was sort of about this time last year after COVID, I was like, mm, I need a new challenge. And then I watched your YouTube video and I was like, yep, no, nah, not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I loved how real you were through the whole process and you keep mentioning how important like an exit strategy is and again it's something that nobody really talks about even just in the standard weight loss industry everyone says I'll help you lose weight nobody says I'll help you keep it off or I'll show you what to do after the diet and even like I've got friends who are doing gym challenges I won't list the the company but after the challenge they all go out drinking and eating pizza there's like an after challenge celebration party and I'm like you're just encouraging this um you know environment of over consuming alcohol and over consuming just processed foods for no reason there's nothing wrong with having a wine having a couple of slices of pizza but don't do this huge lead up to it where they go out and they get absolutely blind and just stuff themselves stupid and feel appalling for the rest of the weekend because that's not general health Um, So I think there's so much talk about like, I'll help you lose weight, but nobody actually says, here's your exit strategy. This is what to do afterwards. This is how to actually keep it off or maintain a healthy lifestyle overall. Totally. And I've just launched a challenge that is very much about education. So every week I've got like an expert on there doing a video talking about these things and these habits to build into your lifestyle. So it's not like, okay, let's be really restricted for eight weeks. And then afterwards, let's go out and just go back to the way we were living and not implement any of the things that we've learned. Mm -hmm. So one of the video modules covers the exit strategy and what to expect when you finish a diet and how to reverse diet and should you reverse diet slowly or should you go back to maintenance and then build your calories back up and what does that look like, what happens to your hormones. Like It's so complex what happens to our body when we enter a deficit, like Mm -hmm. our hormones, particularly as women. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to know that you will have certain feelings and like hunger cues and cravings that you don't really control or you don't control. You you control your decisions and your actions, but you don't control your body telling you to eat. And you also don't want to be so strict with yourself that you're like, I can't eat. Like I'm so scared to go over my calories. I just think, Mm -hmm. yeah, we really need to have more conversations about the diet after the diet. And again, that is something I'm so immensely passionate about having had my own rebound and just spending a lot of time reading up about it and what actually goes on and how to avoid that from happening. And passing that on to my clients, my girls, my followers, anyone that's going to listen. Mm-hmm, definitely. <laughs> Jumping on podcasts and having a good chat with me. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and just quickly for our listeners at home who might be confused around, we've mentioned reverse diet a couple of times. Mm. Could you just give us a really quick summary of exactly what that is and who that would be appropriate for? Totally. So um, when we finish the diet, obviously the process of dieting, we are reducing our energy, so bringing our calories down. However, we choose to do that. You know, some people like to go super aggressive and that works for them and their adherence. Some people like to do a slow and steady approach. Whatever approach we choose, there is going to most likely, depending on how long you diet for, be some metabolic downregulation. So the calories that were deficit calories for us are probably less of a deficit now. Mm -hmm. So say we started on 
1500 calories and we've been dieting for 12 weeks we might say finish up on 1300 calories Mm -hmm. if you were to go back to 1500 you would potentially gain i mean there's there's different studies on the percentage of down regulation that actually occurs Mm -hmm. but you wouldn't just go straight back to your maintenance calories which were say 2000 because that would be weight regain Mm -hmm. so there's a process of slowly bringing your calories back up to say 2000 was your maintenance and 1500 was your first deficit and 1300 was your bigger deficit at the end there would be the process of tapering them back up by 50 to 100 every kind of few weeks Mm -hmm. that's the reverse diet side of things until you get to back to your 2000 whilst maintaining your body weight so if you were to just jump back you might regain that quite quickly or you can go back to your new maintenance calories so factoring in the down regulation that's occurred so that might be say 1800 or 1700 you just go straight back there you stay there for a little bit you try and maintain your weight and then you slowly do the reverse where you're incorporating more calories to build back up to that 2000 and even beyond that if possible um, whilst keeping all your activity levels up and your training and everything. And I think it's so important to even just talk about this because I get a lot of questions about it, but this is an area that I really feel like people need to be working with a specialist in this area. For example, like a sports dietitian or somebody who actually really understands this reverse dieting concept, because a lot of people think, great, I'll lose the weight and then I'll go back to what I originally did. And it's like, you now have to understand, even if it was just, you know, something small, like two or three kilos, you're now in a slightly smaller body. And that slightly smaller body doesn't need as much as it previously did. And as you mentioned, the effects of dieting metabolically, um, you know, we slow some things down. So our body doesn't, you know, absorb utilized calories and that sort of thing as easy. Um, And so we definitely can't get away with as many calories as previously. And I think that's probably the biggest thing where people go wrong with the yo-yo dieting, the weight regain is that they just go back to what they originally did not understanding that they're in a slightly smaller body is probably the easiest way to put it isn't it yeah yeah that's really good explanation Cool. No, thank you for explaining that because I do get a lot of questions about that. And you're probably the first guest we've had on the podcast that's really been focused around this actual dieting. I'm not a fan of dieting, but I understand mm. that when you're doing something like a bikini competition, there's no other name for it. We're not going to sugarcoat it. You're you're constantly in a calorie deficit to get to that level of leanness. And there's no other way around that. We don't have a magical one where you can sort of intuitively eat yourself down to like, you know, 12% body fat or something. So it is, it is technically a long period of dieting or calorie deficits. And so I think the reverse diet after that is just as important as what is leading up to competition day. Totally. And I agree. Like I hate the idea of um, restriction and diets and that that is what creates the negative relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And you can absolutely lose weight if that is your goal without tracking and doing all of these steps and all of these things I've said, just I want people to know that this is like an extreme version of weight loss. So if, if any of my clients want to focus on weight loss, it's like, cool, let's like do it in a way that fits in with your lifestyle, change some things around. I know you're big on, you know, focusing on getting more vegetables on your plate. So Mm -hmm. um, just to put a quick note in there, I do work with a dietitian on all my meal plans. So Love it. (laughs) Um, Again, why I asked you on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So qualified people that know what they're talking about to take care of that side of things. But yeah, I'm the same. Anytime I've gone into restriction, it's always kind of triggered a little, um, flare up I suppose of those negative associations with food and with my body and feeling more like I'm punishing my body than 
um, doing something to achieve a goal that I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people might say, you know, listening at home might think, well, this actually sounds really, really unhealthy. But I think the best way to think of competing would be as a sport. And I've heard that a lot from people who have competed and they say, this is a sport, this is my life. And if you look at any high level athlete, like any professional athlete, they are following meal plans to the T. They are at incredible levels of leanness, but because they're a professional paid athlete, nobody sort of questions their six pack or their level of leanness or the fact that they're working with a sports dietitian and they follow a meal plan day to day and they weigh their food. This is just a different type of a sport. And I think that people really need to understand the rigidity around this is because it is sort of a sport. People are competing, as you mentioned. And if you're just in it to want to look better or, or you know, drop some weight or, or have a six pack, then you're doing it for all the wrong reasons, as you mentioned as well. 100%. I think that would be the biggest takeaway for anyone considering competing. Are you doing it because you're just wanting some sort of motivation? Because motivation for anyone, whether you're an athlete or not, is going to come and go. It's always going to come back to your habits and the way you live your life day to day. So that's what you should be working on, not setting a date for a time you've got to be up on stage because that is just a one-way ticket to screwing yourself up with your relationship with food. And would you say just that negative relationship with food sort of like while you're doing it plus also afterwards, would that be the hardest thing that you found about competing? Um I would say, yeah, the the post comp is the hardest thing. I would say during comp, it's it's just how taxing it is on your your time and your body. Mm-hmm. So you're so tired. I was so like I had just quit my full time job and started my own business at that point, and there was probably a period of two months where I just didn't work because all I was doing mm-hmm. was training or doing cardio, or getting steps, or meal prepping, or sleeping, because I was exhausted, like so exhausted. Also, the guilt, like if you're like, oh my God, I really don't want to train today. In any other time outside of competing, you'd be like, cool, I'm going to listen to my body. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to skip, for a walk skip training today. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas when you're competing, there's this horrible guilt mm-hmm. that if you skip it, you're like, oh no, that could be the one workout that changes my result. Mm-hmm. And that is just not a way to live life unless you are like a competitor that yeah. just lives and breathes athlete, it basically. and enjoys it and loves it. Whereas, yeah, there were moments where I was just like, why am I doing this? Yeah. yeah. So you've got to have a really strong why, yeah. put it that way. And I always say to clients, like it's not about the weight loss or wanting to lose X amount. It's what's the why? What's the reason, the deep underpinning reason that gets you out of bed every day despite being exhausted and tired and having no motivation? That why needs to be deeper than anything else. And that for me is I couldn't figure out a good enough why to compete. And that's why to this date I still haven't done it. And people ask me, you know, nearly every week, are you ever going to do one? And I'm like, I just, until I can get myself to the point where I have this deep enough why to be like, these are all of the reasons why this means the world to me. I'm not going to do it. Like it's just not worth it for me personally. Yeah, totally. And also like RIP to anyone that you're friends with or your partner, because you will become (laughs) moody, hangry. Like when I look back on my YouTubes of, I don't look back on them, but one of the girls that works for me was saying she was looking back at one of my YouTubes where I was like, hangry and I was like having a meltdown in a supermarket I'm like that is so embarrassing like I need to film like me watching these YouTubes and just like (laughs) cringing at myself for being like melting down over food like calm down like you're going to be able to get your food but it just that hanger and that level of hunger just puts it, it turns you into someone else and yeah I do feel sorry for 
anyone that had to be around me during that period. I love it. And that probably brings me to my, the question I've always wanted to ask you is, would you do it again? Would you compete again, knowing that you've done it and knowing what it took to get there and everything that happened afterwards? Would you sign up and do it all over again? No. (laughs) No? No. I know, I know for a lot of people, a lot of people actually, one of the reasons they do it is you get mostly personal trainers doing it who are looking to build a brand and a business off the back of it, which you can do really successfully. That's another motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, I already had a brand. I didn't need to build my name up by competing and I didn't want to attract clients that wanted to compete or wanted that level of conditioning. Like I want yeah. real women. Yeah. Um, it really damaged my relationship with food and with myself and kind of set me on this path to where I'm at now, which is like not in the best place with, you know, my hormones and my gut health, although, you know, that stems back to the hospital stuff too. It's not all competing. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big, I'm not a big regrets person because I can extract learnings from and experiences and contacts and connections from everything that I've been through. So I don't regret it, Mm -hmm. but if I had my time again, I wouldn't do it. I would focus more on, yeah, just prepping for photo shoots and enjoying the process and basically what I do now and just kind of living my life focusing on my business and enjoying training because it did get to the point where you're so hungry and tired that your training suffers, your sleep suffers. It just all the joy and the reason you do it in the first place just kind of went in the end. Mm -hmm, Sure. And any other sort of cons, I guess, to competing that maybe we haven't talked about so far? I guess the, the financial commitment is probably a huge one as well when we think about cons of competing. Yeah, I think as well, you miss out on a lot of life. Mm -hmm. So you miss out on a lot of social events. You have to be that weirdo that comes with their prepped food. In Tupperware. Um, like, yeah, like I'm at the, I was at the movies with my Tupperware, with my weighed out food. It takes up a huge chunk of time just doing weighing your food and prepping your food. Yeah. It can be really difficult for family and friends to understand and support you if they haven't been through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can put some strain and tension on your relationships. Uh, the cost is a huge thing and the biggest thing to consider is, yeah, the aftermath. Do you think you're the kind of person that would likely struggle with it afterwards? Mm Because I was stubborn. I was like, no, I'll be fine because I'm fine now. So you can't really predict it. But if you have an inkling that you might struggle afterwards, I would just suggest doing like a photo shoot prep first and seeing how you go with that, like dip your toe in the water before committing to this huge thing. Yeah. 100%. And then I'd love to finish more on a positive. I don't want to just completely just rag on the entire industry. I want want this to be sort of a balanced um, podcast where you do see both sides. So in terms of pros of competing, like what are some positives that you got out of the the whole process? Yeah. So it it was an incredible experience and I met like one of my best friends now through competing. You do connect with the girls like on Instagram and stuff, everyone kind of follows each other and supports each other. And you, Mm -hmm. you do make friends through that who understand the process that you're going through. Um, if you are a personal trainer and you're looking to get your name out there and grow your brand, it can be a really good opportunity to do that. WBFF promote a lot of the girls who do really well in the competition, Mm -hmm. reshare you on their stories. Um, and the photos are amazing. It it is, it's a, interesting from a science perspective it's very interesting to see what the tiny tiniest manipulations you make to like your macro split or your Mm -hmm. training split or your timing like nutrient timing which 
for the general person does not matter. Like it, it doesn't matter yeah. like yeah. your, your pre and your post-workout and your water levels and your sodium levels. That doesn't matter. But when you're competing, it's so interesting. Like the day before I got on stage, I was so flat. Like I have two pictures comparing the exact same body mm-hmm. 24 hours apart. I was just flat. And then I did some manipulating with some carbohydrates and it was just like pop, bang. And like I had this like definition, these muscles that I didn't even know existed. And I was literally looking at my body and all like, oh my God, this is me. Like this is me for a second. And then it went, but I've got the photos <laughs> and the photo shoots to be like, wow, I did this. I achieved this. I, um, it was really big challenge and I'm really proud of how I went. So definitely pros as well. Yeah, love it. And then and I also remember seeing your photos from that day. I think you did one in the hotel room. Must have been before you just you went off to the competition itself. And I was like, oh my goodness, like you look insane. I remember thinking that. I was like, well, I followed your journey the whole time. Saw you training. Saw you doing your steps. Watched some of your YouTube's of you prepping. And I was like, she did it. Like she got all the way there. So I think even just that is a, a massive achievement in itself. So congratulations on that because I think there would be so many people who quit that process as well. So just being able to follow through with that and get on stage and look incredible whatever the result is massive pros to you as well thank you and I think that's important to really just pat yourself on the back because it would be so easy to be like I wish I got leaner I wish I placed I wish this it's like mm-hmm. you just did something that a very small percentage of the population has ever done like not mm-hmm. many people have the ability to get that lean and follow a process so it is incredible and you yeah you do really need to stop and be like wow I did that and let that be enough. 100%. And then my final question for you, Soph, is really just any, I guess, final tips, words of wisdom for any of our listeners at home who may potentially be considering competing one day yep. or maybe just interested in the process. Yeah, I would definitely say invest in a good coach who has experience and and like ask clients that they've worked with what their experience was like. Mm-hmm. And especially the post diet, like, do they help you with that? What are their thoughts and their ethos around that? Um, get them to be really honest about what the process would look, look like for you, like map it out. I'm very big on mapping things out and being like, okay, at what point would I need to be on X calories? How deep do I have to dig? Just so you're prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't start from a deficit. Like if you have already been spending quite a lot of the year in a deficit, then you're not going to be in a good position to continue in a bigger deficit like that's just going to put you in a worse position yeah uh surround yourself with people that are that are doing it and that get it mm-hmm. and get onto anything that you're wanting to do like your fo- like photo shoots so i did a bunch of photo shoots like in peak week and stuff mm-hmm. organize that when you don't have brain fog and low energy like at the last minute yeah do it before the diet's gotten too real and it's all planned and you've got your outfit sorted and your makeup and your photographer booked and everything so you don't have to use that energy because you do get just so low energy yeah i can imagine even just getting your steps in each day would be incredibly hard because you're just exhausted yeah just dragging one foot in front of the other Oh, well, so thank you so much. That was so interesting. I just, I even got a little insight into it and I thought I knew a little bit more about the industry, but just hearing it from your, I guess, your, your mouth and your experiences and how you went as well is just so, is so lovely because I love like, yes, evidence-based on this podcast, but also just real experiences as well and, and real feelings and that sort of thing. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, just for our listeners at home, can you tell us where we can follow you on social media? I know you're big on Instagram and you do some YouTubing as well. So let our listeners know at home where they can jump on over and give you a follow yeah so on instagram i'm sophie allen s-o-p-h-e-a-l-l-e-n and then i'm sophie allen on youtube and then train with soph 
www.trainwithsoph.com and Train With Soph is my business as well. Yeah, and your online programs as well. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. All right. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 